Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Estep. And I'm Scott Reilly. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Glad you're here. Welcome back, Scott. I'm glad you're here. How are you? Well, thank you. I'm glad I'm here, too. Did, I I haven't uh, I haven't said anything about this, but I've got my lucky podcasting socks on. <laughs> you have? <laughs> I do, see? Oh, perfect. Yeah, so Eric got me some socks this Christmas, and uh, I've just decided they're going to be my podcasting socks, so... If I was playing, you know, baseball or something, I'd have my lucky socks. And so these are my lucky podcast. Lucky socks, podcasting so. socks. I just looked and realized which one they were, and I'm wearing the same socks. <laughs> we're on the same podcasting team, and so we have mine our are not same podcasting socks. socks, though. Oh. oh man, that's great. Well, I'm glad you're wearing your podcasting socks. I wonder if podcasting socks will help my brain work better. Today. <laughs> no. It'll keep your feet warm. Wouldn't that be great? Because it's cold. No, yeah. I'm I'm looking for any advantage I have I can find. So, well, podcast socks will help for that because this is a podcast, and as always, we're trying to uh, talk through ideas and conversations that help make disciples who engage the public sphere. That's what we're trying to do here. We want people to, especially, we want Christians to identify their tribe as the church um, and put their hope in the kingdom of God. And one of the things that may make that task difficult is um, the secular world we live in. You've probably heard that phrase. Uh, we live in a secular world. Um, often that's that's put out there as kind of a um, the scary thing. We live in a secular world. What are we going to do? Uh, and I, I recently finished a book. Um, I wish I could say I finished the original book. There's a book by Charles Taylor called... A book about a book. I've read a book about a book. Uh, not how to read a book, but... Uh, there's a there's a book called The Secular Age by Charles Taylor. He's a Canadian philosopher, and that book is really large. So I did not read that book. There is another book called How Not to Be Secular by James K. A. Smith, and it is basically a I don't know 120 page 140 page summary of the book, um, which was it's it's a great book. You sh- you should all read it. It's helpful. Uh, but one of the things it does is uh, talk through what it means to live in a secular world. It just explains. We, we do live in a secular world. We're all acting secular, basically. So we wanted to talk, to talk about that today in the podcast. And um, before we do, why? Why should we talk about this? Um, and one of the things we need to re- realize before we dig into what Taylor talked about and what Smith summarized about Taylor um, is a, a Christian wanting to be faithful in the world approaches political involvement in a way most secular people cannot understand. That, that's how it should be. A Christian should engage the world with claims of absolute truth, of transcendence, um, or how it usually goes, a Christian approaches it as a secular person, um, as if there is no transcendent God. And ironically, the system that we have, specifically the American system, is kind of built for that. You can engage it that way. You don't have to assume um, big, grand, transcendent truths. Um, and so we, we want to push against that a little bit. Well, in, in some respect, that there, I think we probably need to push against both sides there. So not just push against the side that, you know, Christian people jump into the public square uh, as if there is no transcendent God. That, that does happen, and 
that's part of why the church has, um, I don't know, a PR crisis mm. is because people know enough to say, how can the evangelical church do that right. when they claim otherwise? And so we do have to push against that. But the other, the other side, I, you know, this is a softer push. That needs to be a hard push. The other is a softer push. While we do have claims of absolute truth and transcendence, um, we, it's like a different language to people who are secular and who are in the public square. In other words, yes, we go in there with those and then we're like talking French or something and nobody understands us and there's no mm. impact and there's no way for us to represent Jesus because we're talking a language people don't understand. And aren't translating <clears throat> probably. Right. And so what I think, you know, what I think we need to do is think uh, critically and carefully and really in some respect need new skills mm -hmm. uh, in order to communicate in a public sphere that's secular and to do it in a way that uh, uh, one author said makes Christianity imaginable again. Mm. And I, I love that because uh, I was trained and uh, think about making Christianity rational again. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the, the secular uh, world, the secular person, isn't as concerned about the rationality of Christianity as they are. Is it real? Is it, um, is it even possible mm. that mm. there could be something beyond what we um, see and imagine here? Mm -hmm. So I do think we need to, we need to think in terms of what kind of skills do we need to communicate and to, to engage the public square because, see, they're not asking the questions that we are prepared to answer with respect to a lot of rational right. things. They're, um, in fact, they're not even thinking to ask the questions about, um, you know, the, the spiritual reality at all mm -hmm. because they're the, um, they've been so trained and become so accustomed to dealing with only what they see and only what they can touch right. that they really, and, and I, I, I say they, as though it's it's a foreign thing. I think, for the most part, church people act mm. and live as though they're secular, and so this is a this is a big topic and one that probably you should just read um, the book about the book. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go read the thousand page book, but it's yeah. it is very worthwhile to uh, to consider. So, um, well, I, I, yeah, we need to make the church, make Christianity, make the kingdom imaginable again, that that's helpful. And as you're talking kind of about the pre-work and, and helping people think in a particular way, um, one of the things that came to mind, we didn't have this written down, but when we were watching the Super Bowl, there was one of the uh, He Gets Us commercials. Yeah. And that is some pre-work. That's kind of what it's designed to be. And I was actually pretty struck by that commercial because it resonated in a, in a transcendent way in and in a way that none of the other commercials resonated. The other ones wanted to sell me things, wanted to do things, but that touched on a, um, it was specifically, a, I think the last line in that commercial is, he he loves the ones we hate or something like that. Oh, Jesus that loves the ones we hate. And I remember going, wow, that's that's bigger than me. That's bigger than just the, the small material frame I often assume. Um, and it was, that's something transcendent. It's, if I'm gonna deal with hate, that's bigger than just the little and frame we live in. people lost their minds over it. 
yeah, that's that's not what this podcast is about. But <laughs> but, but it's worth considering because talking the language. See, what we're talking mm-hmm. about here is how do you engage it? How do you talk about it? How do you make it imaginable? In some respect, that was an attempt to make it imaginable. Mm-hmm. And some of the people who lost their minds were people who said, no, no, that's not how you represent Christianity. And so it, it's... This is a this is not a easy thing. It's not a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so another reason we're talking about this uh, usually when we talk about secular, we're often thinking. I'm th- sure the thing that came to mind for you is probably separation of church and state. We think there is a secret, mm-hmm. sacred, and a secular, um, and that is one definition of secular that comes to mind. But that's not really the definition of secular. Charles Taylor. Uh, extrapolates and and explains about how we're living in this culture. It's not just a, they're secular over here and they're sacred over here. Um, it's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that if we thought about it very long, we would be satisfied to say the purview of the church is the sacred stuff, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they shouldn't cross the line into anything that isn't considered sac- sacred. Um, and that, that's where everyone wants to keep the church, in the, in the sacred box, right? They can do their religion, they can do their rituals, they can do their Sunday morning stuff, but don't speak of it outside of that because, mm-hmm. because you have no right, because there's separation from church and state. Well, right. you know, if you have a view that uh, Jesus is king of kings and that uh, he is the Lord of lords, that's going to extend beyond the walls of a church, and therefore your sacred secular divide uh, as parallel to a church-state divide is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are some of the reasons we thought it'd be worthwhile to talk about, um, talk through the book and um, why, why we're doing it today. Uh, so the first bit, and I, and I think we should probably define the levels of secular, but first I want to mention, this is a quote from um, the Smith book. The difference between our modern secular age and past ages is not necessarily the catalog of available beliefs, but rather the default assumptions about what is believable. So the thing that makes us secular now in ways that were not secular then is that um, the assumption is not, okay, we're going to worship a god. Which god are you going to worship? It is um, the potential that worshiping a god at all is even a a reasonable way to go. Mm -hmm. And if that's pretty. If you read any, if you read some great books or, or the Bible or um, history, if you get even a few hundred years back in the past, it's pretty obvious. The assumption is there is a God to worship. You just need to figure out which God you're going to worship. And we just in, in church went through Matthew 15, and Jesus is um, serving and proclaiming the kingdom to some Gentiles, and they decide to uh, w- believe or worship the God of Israel. So the, the question was not, um, is there a God? It was, what God are we going to worship? And, oh, this Jesus guy showed up, so now we're going to worship this, this God of Israel. Um, they, lived, they did not live in a secular world, and we do live in a secular world, where the question mm-hmm. of, is there a God at all? Is there anything outside of us? That's, that's up for grabs. That's, mm-hmm. that's not an assumed reality that they're, they're a spiritual at all. Um, so to kind of help us think about the word secular, there there are three different seculars that... Um, three different definitions. Three different definitions of yeah. secular, and, and they fit at different times. So there there's a little bit of a history to them. But the first secular is the one we, we've already mentioned, kind of that 
that idea of separate, secular, um, being the things that are not spiritual, the things that are not sacred. And this is kind of a classical definition. And in the books, um, they actually have secular one and secular two and secular three, so we can they could differentiate. Um, but secular one is a more classical definition of secular as distinguished from the, the sacred. So in medieval times, this was pretty prominent. Um, the, the secular would be the earthly plane of domestic life. So um, where your butchers are and your bakers and your candlestick makers and the carpenters and anyone doing that type of labor, they're doing secular work. And the sacred work is the, the work of the priests. Um, and there's, there's still a little bit of that uh, in, in church life, I think, where we think, oh, the pastor does the spiritual stuff and I'm going to go get my normal paycheck and do sac- uh, secular things. Um, so there's a little bit of divide there, but that's, a, that's an old classical definition. And, and the way they kind of organized life 500 years ago, say. Um, the second secular two definition is a more modern definition um, of the secular as a-religious. Uh, so secular being neutral, unbiased, objective. Uh, we'll often talk about the secular public square. Um, and where we, there's a few fights that are had about, oh, you can't bring that sacred thing in here because this is a secular public square. It's supposed to be neutral, um, which has plenty of its own problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the one that Taylor really pushes through and, and helps helps us understand is secular three. And Taylor's notion of the secular age as an age of contested belief, where, where religious belief is, not, is no longer axiomatic, it's no longer self-evident, it's no longer obvious that, of course, we're going to believe in something spiritual. Um, it's in the secular age, secular three, the one we live in, it is possible to imagine not believing in God. Um, another way to talk about this would be exclusive humanism. Um, it's, it's the material, it's people, and that's it. There's, no, there's nothing outside of the material. Um, and one of the phrases that was used in the book is, is secular is produced, not just distilled. This isn't just taking out a bunch of things until we're left with the secular. This is, um, this is a story we tell ourselves of, of a world that, that has no God. It's just exclusive, exclusively humanist. Um, and that's, that's the secular age that Taylor describes. Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably worth just stopping and uh, imagining, could you not believe in God? Because, I mean, that's almost hard to get your brain around. Mm. And it can, is, can I imagine a world where there is no God? And on the one hand, I'm sure that uh, you know, people who have been around Christianity for long would say no. And then you think about it very long and you probably say, well, I sort of can. I sort of know some people. Mm. like that and what that what that's what he's talking about is that you know if you're if you're in a different place in the world say the middle east where uh, uh the world is primarily muslim mm-hmm. it is a lot harder to imagine a world where you don't believe in god and so it isn't just christianity this is a right. this is a the question of it's not a question of is the god of the bible the god we're talking about but is there anything immaterial that transcends what you can see and taste and touch? And that is the, the question. And I think probably we come to a, um, in our moments of crisis or doubt, we probably have those questions. Mm, sure. Because we do have enough secular influence to say, I don't know for sure. 
But the reality is that's um, that's not always been that way, and I think we have to acknowledge that. But the other thing is that we um, we are talking to people when we're talking around, you know, beyond the walls of the church mm-hmm. to people who almost can't imagine that there is a God. And mm. that's that's like 180 degrees from from where we want to start. And so you say, let me convince you that there is. That's not it. Right. They don't want to be convinced because there's no question there. Well, we're not we're not dealing with people on the rational plane anymore. That's not that's not a question of formulas and algorithms. Um, and if I just give you the right variables and, and show you that mm-hmm. it adds up, it makes sense. Right. There, there's not even a category for that uh, in their thinking mm-hmm. because we because we live in a secular age. And I, I I hope just even that brief discussion helps people recognize how difficult the communication is. Mm. And in how much more we have to be thoughtful and prayerful, and really trusting the Holy Spirit, right? To because that isn't a that that's a bridge too far for us to go, mm-hmm. un, unless the the real God Himself does um, make it evident to them. So mm-hmm. we are trusting in the Holy Spirit there. One of the things that I appreciated about. Um, the the secular age from Charles Taylor was he talked about three ideas that I think are important for us to um, to think about with regard to being secular. <clears throat> the first is the probably the easiest, and that is the distinction between what is imminent and what is transcendent. Mm. What is imminent means what is close by and and what I can again I can experience with my senses. What is transcendent is what is outside of um, this world, outside of my perception, and is spiritual in nature. Mm. And so he has this distinction between what is transcendent and what is imminent and refers to human beings in the in a secular age uh, as the buffered self. In other words, I buffer or protect myself from the influence of the transcendent so that I, I, I learn to, to um, make my way in the world in a, um, in a sensory and um, just completely non-spiritual way. Mm. So I, I, in, a, in some respect, I buffer myself from any reality there might be that. And then that's important because that's the modern way of, in his in his view, the modern way of coping with the fact that we do all, in, in the words of uh, Ecclesiastes, have eternity in our hearts. Right. And so we buffer ourselves against it, but there are moments, and this I think is important for, the, for us to recognize, especially in the communication that we have uh, with in the public sphere and with secular people, is that there is a um, there are moments of transcendence where it you just know mm. it doesn't work to not have anything beyond mm. um, you know the maybe the birth of a child mm-hmm. would be one of those um, when or when you bury a loved one or when you have 
you hear a stirring symphony mm-hmm. or there, there, there are multiple things like that where you just have this moment and you think maybe there is something more. Right. That is it really important for us to recognize that those are opportunities for the gospel in our communication, but also those are moments when the worldview of a secular age and the worldview of a Christian overlap in some recognizable way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think the the church needs to give serious thought to is how do you deal with the buffered self? How do you open the the window to transcendence? And some of that uh, some of that happens through the art. Some of it happens just in corporate worship. Some of it happens when you're deeply loved by other people. And that is the, you know, that's how the secular world or the buffered self sort of mm. becomes normalized to a, uh, a worldview that has God included. Well, that, and that brings two things to mind. One, how do we do that? And I, the, among the things you said, I'd also add service. If you serve people, that is, hmm. that's something not, that's not a given that I would that I would sacrifice myself for someone else. And some of the opportunities I've seen when I when I can give to someone or or sacrificially um, involve myself with someone, there it almost opens up a oh we're not just we're not just selfish beings. If if, if the material is all there is, then it would it would be very important that I hold as much material as possible. Um, and if I give to someone else or give my time to someone else or or just sit next to them while they cry, that that's um, open. I think it opens up towards the imminent. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, you're talking about buffered self. Um, I think we use uh, our technology as a means of uh, numbing ourselves from those experiences. Where, or, or buffering. Yeah, just, buffering. It's a yeah. way of, of not dealing with it. Right. Yes. And I... 100%. So, so your friend who does not know Jesus or the kingdom, they're dealing with that. But I'd also say, listener, you're probably dealing with that. You, you live in a secular age, and the, thing, the phone in your pocket or the screen on your wall or on your computer, um, that is all there as a means to distract you away from those little moments, whether it's um, being with your kids or, or sitting next to the beach and, and looking out at the horizon or um, getting away from the city and looking at the stars or something and being real, putting yourself in a place where you realize, oh, it's not just imminent. There's some transcendence here. We so often... Uh, just fall to the distraction, and it's it's sitting there buffering us from the other uh, moments that help us realize there's there's something more than just this. Mm-hmm. the The second thing that I would probably mention about Charles Taylor is that he talks about the malaise of modernity, which is sort of a corporate way of looking at this buffered self. So, if you corporately or as a um, society, I suppose. Uh, jettison any transcendence. All you have is what's in front of you. And that ends up being um, very disappointing in the end. Mm. I mean, we still are 100% prone to die. Mm-hmm. And so the end of all things is the same, whether you believe in a, a God or not. If you don't believe in a God, then there is no motivation for you know to be a good person there does there isn't uh, unless you somehow let those motivations creep in 
sure. from some spiritual yep. source that which people don't always recognize. But if you're honest about it, then it's survival of the fittest. It's all the mm-hmm. things that are, you know, um, how do I want to say? They're just uh, competitive at best and malicious at worst. And there is no reason for hope. There's no reason for uh, optimism. There's no real reason to love someone else. And he calls this the malaise of modernity because mm. the 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 drive or the motives or the uh, just inclination for the good, the beautiful, and the true are not there mm-hmm. because you don't have a philosophical framework or a worldview that uh, invites those things. Right, and so it's a result of the buffered self, and it's a malaise of modernity. And, well, and and you could do that experiment with yourself, listener, if you just ponder your week and you strip out the connection you have to Christ's community and um, his people gathered. If you pull those things away and then just evaluate, what what do I do with my life? <laughs> and, and where is the value there? It can be pretty obvious that there's there's an emptiness to it if if you're not connected to something bigger. Um, and the book the book also talked about um, our our I can't remember if it was the word culture or maybe society I can't remember but it has a hauntedness to it like the, it, there mm-hmm. is an emptiness to it but we it's almost like we're scratching it where there's supposed to be something good there's supposed to be something beautiful and true but it's it's not there because it's not communicated in the transcendent way it should be well and but there it's it's there nonetheless the vestiges right. of it are there the uh, the idea that there should be something there mm-hmm. is present. And when that idea that there should be some transcendent thing there, when that just is around the corner or you, you bump into it and you don't expect it, that's the hauntingness mm-hmm. of it. So, yeah, I think that's a really great way to describe it because you don't always see it, but when you do, it's like a surprise. Well, it's like sitting. We I recently got to see the Bach cello suites performed live. And you're sitting there, and it's I think there's six, six suites, mm-hmm. and it starts. Oh, this is music, and this is this, a bow on a string, and whatever. And you're thinking of it more materially, and then eventually, Bach just takes you places, and it gets bigger and bigger. And you're thinking, wow, something. This is not just ears listening to sound waves. This is this is connecting uh, at a more transcendent level, and and pulling my mind away from just the imminent frame into something more transcendent. I mean, I think that's that. I, I don't know how you wouldn't sit there and if you're trying to pay attention, ha- feel some of that hauntedness of there's there's something bigger than just this. So yeah, it, it's haunted. You know, the malaise of modernity is haunted by the transcendent, no doubt. I think the, the third thing that he talks about is the age of authenticity, which causes us, it really is a result of these other two where we are pursuing, you might even say, ourselves. We're mm. trying to figure out who we are. And so the question, who am I, is an enormous question. And and one of the things that we see in our culture all the time is that it's up for grabs. Mm. You can be whatever gender you want to be. You can be whatever orientation you want to be. You can be whatever, however you want to identify, you identify. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is a result of the, you know, getting rid of transcendence, of buffering ourselves against it, 
of recognizing the honest truth that when that's gone, then there is a malaise mm-hmm. and you've got to figure out, okay, who am I in the absence of mm-hmm. anything bigger than me? And I got to find myself. And so there's this age of authenticity where people are in search of themselves, which is really, really interesting. And well, when you said it's an enormous question, if you are, if you've, uh, if there's no category for the transcendent and it's all imminent, it's all now what I can see and taste and touch and feel and smell, um, who you are is not just an enormous question. It may be the biggest question because mm-hmm. you've cut out all of the categories. So, which it becomes not just a, a category of what we think about, but it becomes the age of, because if that becomes the question, everyone needs to answer that question. And, and there's no authority all, either that can define that question for you except yourself. Nothing you cut out, out, out everything else. Yeah, there you go. Nothing outside of you can define you, so you have to define yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you just you know, think about that, you recognize where many of these problems that are so worrisome to us come from. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a result of this. And, and I, I think what I'm really hoping from this discussion is that people will recognize that um, you know that they won't just kind of bang the same drums that the church was banging when I don't know when I was a kid, I guess about whether it's about apologetics or whatever. But instead, the church will will be able to to ask questions and to think about what is um, what is truly. Uh, spiritual in nature, what, what it means to love a transcendent God. And the, part of the reason that I think we need to talk about that here, Eric, is because we've got, um, we're trying to figure out, okay, how does the church engage the public sphere? Mm-hmm. And if we just jump in and engage it as though we too are secular people, then everybody has a right to ask, ask the question, what's the church doing? Church doesn't know what it's Mm-hmm. what it's here for. If we stand back and we say, yeah, the church is completely all about the transcendent and we don't jump in and engage the, the secular uh, square, then we're, we have nothing to say to them. We've got to figure out how do I translate the way that the Bible presents the world, the way that I believe the world is with respect to the, um, the worldwide God we have to figure out how to translate that into action in the world. And we need to do that because, uh, you know, we started off by talking about the Christians living in a way that makes um, the spiritual imaginable again. Mm. And what we're talking about is we're talking about uh, Christianity that says, we want you to know that you live in a kingdom of a king who's not of this world. Mm. You're, and, um, you need to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so there is this transcendence that we uh, believe in. And so we can't just jettison that and act as though we're secular, but we also can't just be, you know, as they say, so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We've got to translate that so that when we go to the polls, we go to the polls not as a Republican or Democrat, not in search of one you know, uh, outcome or candidate or policy as much as we go there to represent this other world. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I, I say that because I think we forget that. We think, oh, you know, God's will is this policy. God's will is that the, that the people who can't see him, can't imagine him, all of a sudden get a vision for what life in the kingdom is like, mm-hmm. which is a completely different task than voting for the right person. Right. And so when, it, when we engage, you know, the public square like this, we have to do it representing a kingdom that we can't see, that we can only help people imagine because we live in a different way or in an upside-down way from the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's, those are my thoughts on kind of how this secularization of the world impacts uh, the church, or maybe vice versa, how the church can impact the secular world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about the political side of things, uh, I have seen a lot of Christians with almost a an existential fear in in regards to politics. Um, we we have we have to win this election, or we have to do this thing, or we have to pass this bill, or get this thing uh, initiative on a ballot, or whatever. And after reading this book, I. Th- it's become more clear to me that, that that fear comes from assumptions more attached to living in a secular age than it is attached to belonging to the kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. if, I, if I belong to the kingdom, I have far less fear. I could be concerned. I can care about things, but I, have, I don't have fear attached to, oh, if, if, this, if this small kingdom doesn't work, we're done for. Um, I don't, I, there's no reason to have fear about my existential fear about those things. So I'd I put that for a challenge for all of us. If we are acting in specifically the political sphere in such a way that it's it's fearful, it's um, uh, it's a that we it must go this way or or we lose everything. You you may be acting like the secular age you belong to, and not like the kingdom you belong to. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe the secular age in which you inhabit, and not the kingdom you belong to. Um, and think about that because we're in the water we're, we we swim in a secular age and it's like asking a fish, what, what is, how's the wa- water? What are you talking about? I don't even mm-hmm. know what water is. That is the secular age. It's if we're not thinking, um, clearly about it, it's going to be very hard to even recognize that we're acting out of the assumptions of a secular age and not the, the assumptions of the kingdom. When you're talking about assumptions, one of the things that you, um, you were saying without saying it, I think, is that there, we all think that we're so smart and we're so rational when we just want to figure out the world through a bunch of syllogisms so that we can state what we know. But the reality is, whether you believe in God or whether you don't, you are, you are telling yourself a story. Mm. And so it's, you know, you think about what Jesus did. Jesus just Jesus came and told story. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this, and he told story after story to help us imagine what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then the Enlightenment comes along, and the you know scientific mm-hmm. revolution and whatever you want to call it comes mm-hmm. along, and we say, no, we have to analyze this. We have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. We have to have it in black and white for sure, and we we pretend that we can lose the story. Mm-hmm. And we pretend to lose a story. Secular world pretends to lose their story. But in, rea- in reality, there's still stories going on everywhere. And the, the whole idea that uh, we're, 
um, all looking at the same thing, telling each other different stories, mm. one secular with no transcendence, the other one full of transcendence and e- mm-hmm. you know eternal hope, and we're still looking at the same things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I want to encourage us to you know, tell more stories and right. tell stories that have God in the center of them. And, uh, you know, one of the things, this might be maybe a, a good way to leave this and uh, just to, to help people think about it. Uh, somebody once said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Mm. And I think that that's the, that's the kind of place where a lot of people are. And when we love them, we will help them find the one they miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Mm. So, I hope, I hope this is helpful for all of you. Uh, just one, to help you see the world you do live in, help to see the world your neighbors definitely live in. Uh, and our hope is that you um, maybe just consider some of the assumptions you're working with, um, the assumptions you inform actions with, and maybe change those so that they're informed by the kingdom rather than by the secular age. Um, so that's it for today. We're, we, we're done talking about the secular age. Um, if we read the thousand-page book, this would probably be a, a nine-part episode. And uh, you'd all be asleep by we'd all the be end. Asleep. Yeah. Um, but I'd recommend both um, Charles Taylor and James K.A. Smith. You can grab either of those books, and I think those would be helpful if you want to learn more. Um, but until next time, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us. That's always helpful. Reviews are helpful as well to inform the algorithms, which are world is fully dependent on and uh, share share the podcast with a friend if you do have questions um, or you want some clarity on what we're talking about with the secular age or you have questions about um, things you'd understand send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com we can use those for future episodes we'd love to hear from you and we do look forward to the next conversation <laughs>